You're listening to the World Champion in Life podcast, where we discuss ways to live your life to the fullest. Each week, we interview leaders in the areas of health, wellness, finance, and fitness. Now, here's your host, Brett Fenton. Welcome to episode three of the World Champion in Life podcast. Today with me, we have John Will, my jiu-jitsu coach for the last 13 years. Um, how are you today, John? Yep, I'm all good, Brett. Excellent, excellent. So um, just give us a spiel on who John Will is and um, just probably a rundown of some of the biggest things that you've done in life and we'll go from there. Yikes. Um, okay. I know. Well, I, it's a, yeah, I've lived in a, a, a pretty full life to this point. I'm 61 years old now. Um, I left school. I was in, into martial arts before I finished my school, schooling, and I um, decided to follow in the footsteps of a guy you may or may not have heard of, John Drager. Mm-hmm. He wrote some great books back, um, way back then, and they were about him, you know, him traveling and training during the 60s all throughout Southeast Asia, India, Mongolia, and I thought, you know what, I want to do that. Um, so I kind of left Australian shores at the age of 18 and headed to Indonesia in the um, with the idea of following in his footsteps to train in martial arts. And so I did that for quite a while, probably 10 or 12 years, um, just, you know, doing casual work here in Australia, uh, just to get enough money to go over and, you know, um, live and train in Indonesia and Thailand, uh, India, Japan and so forth. And I did that uh, up till I was about 30 years of age, I believe. And then I started uh, Blitz Magazine, which I guess some of your listeners would know what that is. Yep. Um, it's been wound up now, but uh, I, I started that magazine in my in my house on a Commodore 64 <laughs> um, with a bottle of glue, uh, you know, and just... Uh, doing photos, sticking all the photos down and writing the stuff and getting it printed out as bromides and manually sticking, gluing the magazine together and then getting it printed. And I did that for about 10 issues or so, something like that, Hmm. and then I sold it. Um, To Sylvia, wasn't it? Actually, no. Actually, I sold it to to Joel's, Joel's Martial Arts. Yep, so Paul Jolly. And continued, yes, to Paul Jolly. And I continued on as editor for a few issues and then there was a period where um, Paul decided to shrink his business down and, one, and part of that shrinking was to get rid of the magazine and put all his efforts into one location rather than a couple of different locations, magazines, kind of, he was kind of all over the place. And so part of that, when he shrank it down, he was just going to fold blitz and I suggested that he give it to Silvio Morelli um, hmm. and he did that. So Silvio got it and took off with uh, it. And took off with it, yeah. And he, he, he went a lot further than what I would have done. I didn't have that kind of ambition with that. I was much more grassroots, but he turned it into a whole publishing thing. And, um, yeah, he took it, he took it places. And, and at, at that time, I wanted to just focus more on my training. Uh, and I started, be, you know, to teach and, and uh, really made my living out of teaching martial arts and defensive tactics in one form or another ever since then. Cool. So it's pretty much safe to say that, um, like, I remember the Blitz, when Blitz first came out, it was all black and white, and there was, like, pretty much that, and I think it was Australian fighting arts from memory were the only ones around that you could actually get, and that was the only way we could actually learn anything other than going to seminars or having 
training with your instructor. So um, today's environment of, I know, social media, YouTube, you know, like everyone's kind of sport with the amount of um, information they get, I suppose. Um, we had to go seeking it back in those days. So you were like probably on the extreme end of it. You actually, I think, I, from what I what I think, you let you use Blitz magazine as a way of going overseas, training, and then you could come back with and put articles into it. So it was clever on your part to do that. Well, I, yeah, there are there are pros and cons with the fact that there is information available at our fingertips nowadays. I mean, it's great that there is, but then again, people don't have to leave the lounge room. Whereas I, you know, I really enjoy and I learned a lot about life, um, living and working and doing jobs and working for police, you know, in Southeast Asia and doing all these kind of crazy things. Um, but I, I, you know, there's a lot of life lessons woven into that. Um, so you had to go out, yeah, I had to go out and find it and, and, and live it really and experience it rather than just read about it and Absolutely. watch it on YouTube. And that, that's a very different, a very kind of visceral experience. And, um, yeah, I'm really glad that I did it that way. Yeah, I suppose if um, people are uh, interested in hearing all about your your antics when you were doing all that, you've got a couple. You've got th- uh, a trilogy of books that um, outline all of those adventures that you did. So, and um, I don't, I've read them a couple of times over, and they're um, they're great reads. They're easy to read, which I like because I'm I'm more of an audio booker than a than a reader, and so it's rare that I actually sit down and actually read books. But um, I've read them a few times now. So, um, and the, the stories are hilarious and and entertaining. And scary at times. So, um, if people uh, yeah. want to hear more about your antics and what you did back in those days, um, I recommend getting those books. They're not expensive. So, and um, going from there. So, obviously, you've had decades of experience in martial arts and multiple styles of martial arts. So, you're a world champion salat. Is that that correct? Yeah. Well, that's a long time ago. That was but I, okay. yeah. I, won, I won a world championship in 1982. Um, in Jakarta, in uh, Indonesia. So there's not, not a lot yes. you haven't done. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah. The, the, the books you refer to didn't start out as an autobiography. Um, what I actually started doing there was I wanted to document what are the 20 most important things I've ever learned in my life, and and what was the like what were the situ- what was the situation and the circumstances in which I learned that lesson so obviously you know every time you learn something there's kind of a story that goes with it right so i kind of did that for 20 realized that 20 i'd learned more than 20 things so i'd learned i kept going and and so it ended up becoming the 60 most important things that i've ever learned and then i put them after i'd written them all i put them in chronological order so it kind of accidentally turned into an autobiography but that's not the intent the intent was to share the things that I've learned, you know, with anyone yep. who is interested enough to read it. Excellent, excellent. So these days you're pretty much, um, you, you live in Geelong and you run um, your school there and uh, you're still teaching military like the, at Adfer and that? I don't, I'm not doing that much. I, I'm trying to do less work yep. uh, because, right I, I mean, yeah, right now I don't have to work anymore if I don't want to, meaning for money. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm trying to just hit the right balance and do less because I'm doing a fair bit and my natural tendency, see what happens with people's habits 
we get habits, right? And they these habits are useful at a certain time of our life, and then at another time of our life, they may be holding us back. Mm. So, for example, you know, I, I've always had a good work ethic. Um, there was a time where I would be doing thirty classes a week, private lessons and mixture of public classes, and I'd be doing thirty a week. And I had to do that. I had to put my head down, my butt up, and get going and scramble, you know, because I didn't, I wasn't. It, at all interested in money or concerned about that until after I got married, you know, and then you've got to do it. Yep. Because you need to own your house and you need to pay for your children and all that kind of stuff. So then I, you know, when you've got other people to care about, suddenly these things which are unimportant, you know, when you're 25 become important. Yep. Very. And so um, I, had a, I, I had a good work ethic and I did that. But ne- And then here I am now at the age of 61 and I've still got that, work ethic in that it's very difficult for me to say no to someone you know do you want to dig the hole and make two dollars or not i'll dig the hole you know right and so that was a great work ethic when you're 30 or 35 or 40 and trying to get yourself together but it's not a good habit when you're trying to buy some of your time back and of course time is the most precious thing and that's the one resource we can't you know get more of that we're allocated so um I'm, t- I'm trying to do less work. Um, so I'm not chasing things like work at Adfa or Quantico or special ops stuff, which I, could th- I think I could do. I could easily chase work like that, but I'm not chasing work. I'm not actually chasing any work. <laughs> I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to um, cut out some work if I can, but it's just difficult because... Yep. No, it's, 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 it still sounds like you're extremely busy. So and I think you'll always be a busy person, like in, I suppose normal person speaker i think you'll still be busy at 80 so um but compared for what you actually think you're doing you'll probably be thinking you're a bit lazy at the time so um <laughs> i know i'm wide the same and um people think you're nuts when you're doing 15 16 hour days and um i don't know what i'd be doing if i wasn't so that's just the way well, it is. yeah well there is that I'm, I'm a big believer in what i call contrast so you know um you may have heard me talk about this before but you we can't appreciate what warmth is without having felt cold or we can't appreciate a great meal without being a little bit hungry you know so if someone if i asked you what your favorite meal was and you told me you know this is your dream meal at at some you know um degustation restaurant three-star michelin restaurant and i said okay i'm going to give that to you every single day for the next year within six months you'd be going crazy you'd be just looking for a bowl of rice like yep you know because because we only can measure things if we have something to measure it against. So I like that idea of contrast. And so if you had nothing to do all day and you do absolutely nothing, that would become, and I, you know, we've both experienced that. You know, I'm sure you have, you go on a holiday, that's great for two days, three days, and you go, oh, what now? You know, I look for something. Mm. So I think we do a little bit of work. You have a hard weekend, you go away. Like last weekend, I taught six seminars, but this weekend I got off. But I'm going to enjoy this weekend off a lot more ha- because I've done a big weekend last weekend. You know yep. what I'm saying, right? So I think that's a really important thing. So you've got to find that, I guess, perfect balance of, if you like. You need the contrast in our lives, though. If you give everyone every wish they want. Someone told me a story a long time ago. It was about fly fishing, which is one of my little hobbies. I mm. go out bush, go hiking and stuff. And they said, you know, I was trying to catch a 10-pound trout, which is, for those who don't know anything about fly fishing, that's the El Dorado. You know, that's the that's the Everest, if you can catch a 10-pound trout. And there are people who fish their whole lives and never catch a 5-pound trout. So it's a really difficult thing to do. 
and I was I was obsessed with it. I want to catch a ten pound trout. So you know he and of course he said the obvious things to catch a ten pound trout. You've got to do things other people are unwilling to do. You know you got to hike in twenty five kilometers from the road. You got to stay overnight. You got to because to get in that far you have to camp overnight. Therefore you got to carry all your stuff on your back. You you got to do these things. Um, and I was talking about. He said, "Listen, you know what? What about after the ten pound trout? What happens if you wake up one day? I made wave my magic wand. You throw your cast your line in there. First cast, perfect stream, picturesque scene, perfect conditions, perfect day. One cast, ten pound trout. Second cast, ten pound trout. Third cast, ten pound trout. <laughs> Eighth cast, ten pound trout." What would that mean? It would be hell, not heaven. Yep. You, know, you start out thinking things like that are heaven. You know, that's my goal. That's what I want. But when you get it and get it and get it and get it, then it becomes a nightmare because suddenly there's nothing to aim for. You know, Everest is only interesting because it's difficult to do. If you put an escalator to the top of it and a Starbucks up every 200 meters, then of course there's no challenge. Without that, without the effort. There is no sense of achievement, so you know I think the sense of achievement, you know, um, the effort imbues the, the thing with meaning. You know, like a, like a black belt in BJJ, it's only meaningful because it's difficult. Absolutely, absolutely. You can go and buy one. That's cool, <laughs> yeah, get them from um, from the local martial arts store. So, yeah. Yeah, but that like I I like I love that that analogy the the escalator to, to Everest, and I think like that's my favorite analogy that you use all the time and i think if people enjoy enjoy this podcast one of the things they can definitely do is um jump on your blog um on facebook and and because you you do this i you've probably got one of the most prolific um blogs it's been going for a long time your blog and um and it's consistent every single day is something on there it's interesting uh sometimes controversial which is cool i like that i like when it raises eyebrows that's fun and um and you do like cover a lot of these areas, which are really important. I think um, to realize that um, like life's not not great unless you got pain and pleasure. It's like you wouldn't know what to do with yourself if you had either or. So um, it's some very important yeah. advice there. Yeah, yeah. Um, my blog has really been fun for me. I, I do it. I really don't do it for an audience. Um, I just speak my mind. I, Whatever drops into my brain, I just throw it out there. Um, and usually I don't even spell check it or anything like that. I don't edit it too much. I just throw it down there and it is what it is. Um, but I do it as a way of, I guess, crystallizing my thoughts on a given thing that pops into my mind. Hmm. You know, like like I guess that's what a diary does, doesn't it? You know, it, it'll... It, you're writing to yourself and you're not doing it for anyone else to read. You're just doing it as a way of, you know, formulating your thoughts, kind of organising your thoughts a little bit on a given topic or on a given event or a day. And then, you know, the fact that other people may get some value out of that is kind of like, to me, it's secondary. So I'm, 
I'm doing it just really, I guess, from a kind of selfish point of view as a way just to crystallize my thoughts. It's kind of nice. I, I really enjoy it. And I, thought, I get a lot of good feedback from it. I think I've done about 1,500 or 1,400 blogs at the moment. Yeah, it's crazy. And I'm pretty sure I've read every one of them. So I, I enjoy them. So just keep continuing doing that, even if you retire. So <laughs> I, find them, I find them entertaining. So like I don't read a newspaper, so you're as close as I get to reading a newspaper and having the funnies for me. So um, keep that up. <laughs> keep that up. Um, one of the things that um, over the years that um, I suppose advice that I've taken from you and I've, I've probably implemented in my life, it may not look like it when, the, when, when people come to my school at all, but in my actual personal life is um, I've started to really um, downsize and minimize a lot of the stuff that I have or do in life um, and really uh, niched in on what's important. Um, I think that out of all the people I know that you're probably real, one of the very best at doing that. Like you have a highly successful business yet you've never moved from the same school in what, 25 years. So yeah, you've been there a long time. So you're all about only putting like spending time or money in an area that you're going to get any kind of value back. And that's something I've really been implementing over the last few years in my life. And, um, you talk to people about what that involves, like, like, what do you like? I'm, I've seen you do it, and I see you do it all the time. Like, you've you got enough money, you could live in like the biggest mansion if you liked, if you wanted to spend that ridiculous amount of money on it. You could have a Ferrari, you could have all of that stuff if you really wanted to. But yeah. you, you only own what you need to own. Like, you've got a really nice house, but I'm sure you could have a bigger, or a better, a flasher house. But it's a really nice house. I love it. And you've got a nice car, you know, you've got everything you need and, and that's where it kind of stops at it. You don't need anything more. And yeah. I think that's a really, a really good model of life to live by. Like just only need what you need. So how's that yeah. going? That was part one of our interview with John Will. Tune in next week when we'll have part two. Look forward to seeing you then.